welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Well, happy Father's Day, everybody. Uh, we've uh, got chocolates uh, for, for, for the men here. Um, and lettuce leaf for anyone who's on a diet like me or diabetic or whatever. But um, anyway, there will be chocolate handed out at, at, at the end. Please handle it uh, responsibly, but not just for fathers, for all, 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 all men here. Uh, we're celebrating fatherhood in 88 countries around the world today. And uh, of course, it's a good thing to do, partly because so many dads aren't great dads, but also because it's not easy being a good dad. Um, we're just at that stage where we are kind of resurfacing after the chauffeur, uh, you know, the taxi driving years. Anyone relate to the taxi driving? Yes. And uh, it was um, a little while ago now that uh, it, was a, it was late night, it was about 11, after 11 p.m., which is terribly late for me these days. And uh, it was winter time. And I'm not ashamed to tell you I was at home in my slippers. And the boys, uh, we have two sons, our boys phoned and said, can you come and pick us up? They were at a friend's house. I drove around uh, in my slippers because I didn't see any earthly point in changing. Uh, and I went into the house in my slippers and one of our sons looked at me and said, Dad, that is so embarrassing. <laughs> and the other one said, that's so cool. I can't wait to be your age and let myself go like that. Uh, of course, I'm acutely aware that for some this is a painful day. You may be missing your father, uh, particularly maybe if you lost him in the last year or so. Maybe you're here thinking, I'd love to be a father. I'm longing to be a father, and for various reasons you're not. Maybe your father was absent or distant or even uh, abusive. I take great comfort from that beautiful uh, verse that Misty read in the prayer earlier, Psalm 27, verse 10, even if my father abandons me, the Lord will hold me close. And today, uh, as well as celebrating dads, we are <laughs> continuing a series on the sacraments. Do you have any idea how hard it is to combine these two things? Um, but uh, we, we're going to think today about baptism. And you're going to see it does fit. You know, what is a sacrament? Well, 1,500 years ago, St. Augustine of Hippo uh, defined a sacrament like this. He said it is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace or blessing. Outward, visible sign, inward, spiritual blessing or grace. And so a few weeks ago, you may recall Daniel Grothy from Colorado launched uh, this occasional series helping us to think about communion. And today, as I say, we're thinking about baptism. Three weeks today, on the 7th of July, we'll be baptizing a whole bunch of people. We've got some pictures here of different uh, people over the years. We've, we've baptized as people come to faith or come to the place they know they need to get baptized and uh, summer festage is brilliant. Do come at three weeks' time. You're going to love it. Summer will have started by then, I can officially assure you of that. 
and um, we will have ice cream vans and, and tug-of-war and Great British Bake Off and marquees and all sorts of stuff and hundreds of us down in Godalming uh, just from all the different congregations together having a great old picnic. It's a hog roast, vegetarian options, and we will baptize people as part of that. Maybe uh, God's calling you to get baptized uh, in three weeks' time. And so today's Bible reading conveniently speaks powerfully about both baptism and uh, about uh, the Father heart of God. So this is um, Luke 3, 21 to 23a. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Any millennials here having a little crisis, don't worry, Jesus didn't really do much until he was 30. Any of you over 33, that's a harder one to reconcile, that's another issue. So Jesus is immersed in water, he's baptized, he comes out and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and the Father speaks these great words of affirmation over him. Here we have a Trinitarian moment, the Son being baptized, the Father speaking, the Spirit descending as a dove upon him. And the words of the Father are beautiful. He says, basically, I love you and I'm proud of you. Notice at this point, Jesus hasn't started his ministry. Um, as I often say, you know, he'd done carpentry, and as far as we know, he wasn't that great a carpenter because you don't get the Antiques Roadshow going, oh, it's an original Christ piece, you know. Uh, you know, he's 30 years old, and he's finally starting, and yet right at the start, before he's kicked off, the Father's proud of him. This is un conditional affirmation. This is unconditional love. This is the heart of God towards each one of us. It is not conditional on your achievements or your successes. Before you've even done anything, he says, I love you. I'm proud of you. These are arguably the words that human beings most long to hear from their fathers. I love you. I'm proud of you. Dads, the best thing you can do today is find ways creatively and verbally, perhaps, of expressing to your kids I love you. I'm proud of you. The weight of disapproval upon us can be crippling. You remember one comedian who said, I'm quite sure today my dad is looking down on me. Not because he's died, but because he's always patronized me. <laughs> so if, as Augustine says, baptism is an outward sign of an inward blessing. What is baptism signifying? What is its significance? What is it pointing towards? What does it express? I'm going to give you five things that I, I believe baptism signifies. And uh, you may want to write these down. They will come up on the screen, so you can take pictures of them if that's helpful. If you're wondering about getting baptized, you definitely want to grab these. But I'm going to whip through these pretty quickly. So first of all, the first significance of baptism is obedience, obedience. 
At its most basic level, baptism is an expression of simple obedience to Christ's own example in getting baptized. So we say, well, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. Well, Jesus got baptized. Well, I better get baptized then. It's obedience to that. But also to the words, the command of Christ. Jesus went around saying to people, repent and be baptized. So Jesus looks at you and says, be baptized. When I decided to get baptized, I was 17 or 18, uh, it, it really was as simple as this. Jesus has told me to do it, so I'd better do it. I'd made my decision that I wanted to follow Jesus, and I figured I'd better do it. Now, perhaps for some of you controversially, I had been christened as a baby, and I had to wrestle with that. I'm going to tell you where I came to my own personal heart, but I'm not trying to impose this on others. Some of you will disagree, and I want to give you full grace to disagree, but I'll tell you where I came to my own heart, was I did not believe my christening was my baptism. I believed that it was because, because my free will hadn't been involved in any way whatsoever. I can even remember it. For me, I, 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 I thought it was, it was a very meaningful moment for my parents. I'm grateful that they did that. It was a moment of dedication, but... I, I, I hadn't made a choice. And, and I felt very strongly, if you're going to repent and be baptized, you've got to be able to make a choice. Uh, and, um, and then I looked at Jesus, and I thought, well, he got dedicated at 40 days, but he got baptized as an adult. And in this church, one of the things we believe quite passionately is that children, if you like, are already saved. That's why we draw them into communion. You may have noticed that. Most churches say, well, we've got to, you know, do a test before you can take communion. We're like, no, you're part of the family of God already because in the Jewish tradition, you have bar mitzvah at the age of 12. And one of the implications of bar mitzvah is before that, you weren't considered to be able to make your own moral choices. We all know, yeah, children can make a few choices, but let's be honest, they're pretty heavily uh, influenced by the choices of those around them for good or ill. It's why, as a pastor, when sometimes tragically children die, I have absolutely no qualms saying they've gone to heaven. Because they weren't able to make their own moral choices. They're in unless they opt out. But there comes a point, because we know that we do reach an age, maybe it's 13, I don't know, maybe it's not coincidental that it's as we get into our teens and all sorts of things start to happen. But we make moral choices, and most of us make bad moral choices, but we're also able to make good ones. We can choose to repent. That means turn away from our sin, turn towards Jesus. He says, repent, turn towards me and get baptized. Follow my example. And, 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 and so we can be saved. We can be forgiven. It's an act of obedience. And let me just say this really clearly. In Emmaus, uh, we, we consider uh, the issue of christening, that's the baptism of babies in some people's thinking, as a, a conscience issue. So there are some people who either were christened, less and less these days, but were christened as babies and say, that was my baptism. We say, God bless you. In that case, you must not get baptized again. You've been baptized, if that's what you believe. Um, we also find some parents, not many, but a few say, actually, we'd really love to baptize our babies. And one of the great things about diversity and being a little more relaxed in life is um, Bill Kuzak, who's preaching in Coventry today, we've sent him to Coventry, quite literally, uh, is, is, an, is an Anglican priest. He has permission to officiate a PTO from two bishops, which is greedy, both Bishop of Guildford and Bishop of Kensington, which means he can do all the Anglican stuff. And, and he's, he completely disagrees with me on this issue. It's why I'm preaching it whilst he's away. And, 
and uh, is very happy to baptize babies. So if you want that, he'll, he'll do it, and, and I, I, but I probably won't because it, we, it's a conscience issue. So um, I, 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 I don't apologize for my own convictions on this, but I'm learning as I get older to hold them with a little bit of humility and grace. And uh, so that's the first thing is, is, is get baptized because Jesus has uh, commanded it. The second thing is this. Baptism signifies repentance, repentance. Firstly, the waters of baptism is an obvious symbol of taking a bath. It's getting clean. It's getting a fresh start, getting washed. But also, when we lower people into the waters of baptism, that is a picture of being buried with Christ. And when we raise them out, it's a picture of being raised with Jesus. And um, the uh, Apostle Paul makes this explicit in Romans 6, 3 to 4. He says, all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The original Greek word from which we get baptism is baptizo, and it wasn't a religious word. It just meant submerge, immerse, dunk. Uh, and so they were just taking the word that you would use if you, you know, dunked a piece of cloth into some dye to get to change color. They were just using that word. And so again, we passionately believe that baptism uh, ideally is, is, is to be immersed in the water. And uh, the good news is because Jesus raised from the, rose from the grave, we don't leave you down there. We lift you back up. Again, and people often say, I felt it was a breakthrough moment when I got baptized. I, I felt um, a new start. I, I was set free from things that had been afflictions in my life. I received a, a sense of forgiveness. Have you any idea how wonderful it is that you can be free from shame? You can be free from guilt. You don't have to get up every morning with this great weight of feeling embarrassed by yourself your own thoughts, your own history, your own profile. You can have a fresh start. There's no doctor, no psychiatrist that can do this for you. This is the message of the cross of Jesus, that he has died and risen again so that you can be forgiven your sins and given a completely fresh start. It's the most beautiful, exquisite thing. Any psychiatrist will tell you at the root of half the world's problems is guilt and shame. And we are not the people of guilt and shame. We are the people of grace and forgiveness and hope. By the way, to get there, you do have to admit there is some guilt and shame. But anyone who doesn't admit there's some guilt and shame has got some other psychiatric issues because we've all screwed up. Let's be honest. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But acknowledging that, it's not where we end. That's where we start. And then we say, now let's do something about it. And the world is desperately trying to sort out its guilt and its shame problems. Some of them by pretending there isn't any. It's not really working. Some by working terribly hard. That's not really working. And Jesus comes and says, chill out. Let me do this for you. I've died. I've risen. Now you be baptized into my death and into my resurrection. This is the beauty 
of baptism. One of my favorite baptism pictures. Uh, it's lovely uh, to see uh, Brother Sam here uh, today. And the Yegnazars is, is this lovely picture of is one of your Elam baptisms. Lots of Iranian believers. Here they are. They, you know, people from the world's only Muslim theocracy. In Iran, and they're encountering Jesus, and they are being forgiven of their sins and baptized. Look at that mass baptism. I love that. Uh, beautiful picture. The third reason, uh, the, the third thing that baptism signifies is this encounter with God. Encounter with God. In baptism, we often come into a intimacy with the Father. And we see this here with Jesus. In his moment of baptism, the Father speaks these words of affirmation. The Father doesn't do it just when he was making a coffee that morning. It's at his baptism, and the Spirit comes. The Bible talks about two types of baptism. There's baptism in water, and there's baptism in the Holy Spirit, and we need both. And we see most of the time, they often happen at the same time. They don't always, but for Jesus, they happen pretty much the same time. He's baptized in water, comes out, and he's baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's a story in Acts uh, chapter 19 about this, uh, where um, Paul turns up in Ephesus, and uh, there's 12 men there who sort of they're being Christians as best they can understand, but they don't really understand very much. So they've been baptized, but it was John the Baptist baptism, so it wasn't quite the right one. So Paul says, no, 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 that's, that won't do. So, so, so then we read in uh, Acts chapter 19, uh, uh, Paul uh, baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus, and then he placed his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Baptism in water, baptism in the Spirit. Last week, this time last week, it was Pentecost Sunday, the day in the year when we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit and, and the baptism of the Spirit and the birth of the church. And as you know, we were involved in this Thy Kingdom Come initiative all around the world. It's, it's gone global now, uh, put pe pulling people together to pray and to say, come Holy Spirit, let your kingdom come different Christian traditions. Uh, after the morning service, I zoomed up to Trafalgar Square, where I think we had 7,000 people gathered. Uh, and uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury stood there and, and invited people to become followers of Jesus. I thought, wow, this is good. Uh, and, and then Sam and I got on the train back, and we ran up the hill to Guildford Cathedral, and, and that was packed. And, 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 and they had asked me to preach there. And uh, Mark and Pete Marsden, one or two others, were there. And here's a picture. Isn't that terrifying? <laughs> I mean, for those listening, there's, there's all these terribly important church leaders. You've got a, a, a Coptic and a, a Methodist and a Catholic and a couple of Anglican bishops. They're all basically dressed in black and half of them got big beards. Absolutely terrifying. I was staring out at them. They were staring back at me, checking my theology. I had to put a quote in from Gregory of Nyssa just to keep the bearded ones happy. And, uh, but then once I'd done that, I thought I could do anything. And then I remembered how even the Archbishop of Canterbury uh, had just preached the gospel. I thought, well, if he can do it, I'm going to do it and stuff the law. Of them. So I, I, I told everyone about Jesus and I prayed a prayer and said, if you want to give your life to Jesus, why don't you join in? And, uh, and then they stared back at me and checking my theology. It was probably bad, but anyway, I do my best. And then, 
afterwards, I know some people said they couldn't hear very well and all the rest of it. But afterwards, Sammy and I were, 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 were walking out of the cathedral and this woman, young woman came running up to us and said, oh, thanks so much for your talk. And I said, oh, thank you. And then she said, you don't understand, I'm an atheist. I said, oh, well, what on earth are you doing here? She said, oh, good question. She said, well, I was out clubbing. Now she had my attention. I was out clubbing. And I met this bloke. I got a bit drunk, but she didn't say drunk. She said a ruder word. I'm just helping you because I know you're delicate. And uh, she said, I was out uh, clubbing. I got drunk. And he's been dragging me along to church ever since. And so he's dragged me along here. And she said, it's all nonsense. But she didn't say nonsense. She said a more rude word than that. And then she paused and realized, I probably said this to the wrong person. That was the preacher in the cathedral. I've just told that uh, it's all nonsense. And she said, but actually, everything you just said made sense. And I said, oh, thank you very much. Um, I said, out of interest, did you pray that prayer? I did at the end. And she got all serious and said, yeah. And I said, what happened? And she said, um, I can't explain it, but I suddenly, and she started tearing up. She said, I just believed. I believe. I mean, it's funny, she's still calling herself an atheist. It takes a few weeks before you change your Facebook profile, right? <laughs> but I just believe. And, and, then, and then she said, and the weirdest thing happened. I said, tell me more. She said, she didn't have any of the right religious language, you know, like you people. So it was baptism of the Spirit. She said, something bigger than me seems to be filling me up from the inside. What is that? That's, this, is, this is less than a week ago. And Sammy said, oh, darling, that's the Holy Spirit. Well, whatever, you know. And, it, and so we prayed for her there in the car park. I mean, it's not bad, is it? In the Cathedral of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday, she accidentally gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, and um, my friend who was preaching at another of the cathedrals, I won't tell you which one, uh, invited, uh, 10 people got saved. He went to the dean of the cathedral and said, now what's your usual follow-up process when people become Christians? And the dean said, we've never had it happen before. Uh, so, um, <laughs> and that's true. <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, I probably shouldn't have told you that on reflection. Uh, and um, so, 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 so then Sammy said, so have you heard of Alpha? She hadn't heard of Alpha. So she said, well, why don't you start next Thursday? She said, well, I'm doing my last A-level on Friday. She said, well, you start the week after. So who knows, maybe this woman will be getting baptized with us in three weeks' time alongside some of you. Baptism is a moment of encounter with God. Fourthly, baptism is about belonging. Baptism is about belonging in two ways. First of all, it's about belonging to God. Uh, and here we see the Trinity. The Father speaks, the Son gets baptized, the Spirit comes down like a dove. Elsewhere, when Jesus sends us out, Matthew chapter 28, to preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations, he said, and you must baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So people are baptized into the Trinity. They're baptized into the community of God that is at the heart of all reality. You ever thought about that? The heart of the universe is Trinity, is community, is relationship, is family. And, and, and baptism is also, therefore, into the church, into God's body. And so baptism is often a moment of commitment, saying, I'm going to commit to this family. It ain't perfect, which is why you're going to fit in just fine. And so baptism is about belonging. It's beautiful that, you know, there's only three times in the Gospels that the Father speaks audibly over the Son, which sort of 
makes me think, wow, you really ought to pay attention because when God speaks audibly over Jesus, I mean, that's a big moment. The first time is here, start of Jesus' ministry in a river. And what does God say? Love this boy, proud of him. The next one is in the middle of Jesus' ministry, up a mountain. And what does the father say? Exactly the same thing. Love this boy, proud of this boy. The third one is right at the end of Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, Father, would you glorify your name? And a voice comes and says, I have glorified it. I'm going to glorify it again. Proud of you. Three times God speaks audibly over Jesus. And on all three occasions, he says the same thing. I love you. I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. If you need any other evidence of the heart of God towards you, if you ever think, does God really love me? Is he really that good? Isn't he really angry? Isn't he really scowling all the time? Here you have the evidence. The heart of God is one of love, even within the Trinity. I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Before you do anything, I love you, I love you, I love you. Once you've finished, I love you, I love you, I love you. That is the unshakable heart of God revealed in the baptism of Jesus. I want to show you a little video clip now. And this is one of the most memorable moments in Olympic history. It's the 1992 Barcelona Olympics and a man called Derek Redmond who had just won the quarterfinal 400-meter race. The Brit uh, is in the semifinals. Our hopes are in him to maybe win us a gold. It starts really, really well. And then in the final 250 meters, disaster strikes. Take a look at this. Derek Redmond in the best form he's shown since he broke the British record. He was in great shape, you know, he, he was had a chance, possibility of maybe getting a medal there. The Cuban Hernandez has got uh, Redmond to aim at and so too in line number three is Steve Lewis, but Redmond's got off very fast indeed and so too is Ismail of Qatar. Down the back straight, he's the fractional leader. Bardo of Nigeria has gone very quickly and Redmond has broken down. He's on the track, kneeling down, and Derek Redmond, on his injury problem, the jinx has struck again. Running down the back straight, I heard a funny clap or a pop, and I honestly, for a split second, thought I'd been shot. Uh, and then, obviously, I realised I've, I've pulled a hamstring. And then when the pain sort of died down, I remembered where I was and what I was doing, and I remember thinking, quick, you're in the Olympic semi-finals, you prat, get up and start running. And I got to the 200 metre mark after hobbling 50 metres and looked across and all the guys had finished, and it pretty much hit me that, you know, it ain't gonna happen, it's all over. I would have laid there, you know, to be honest, there's no way I would have got up, because hamstring, when you got a hamstring, you know you got a hamstring. He just wants to finish. His dad's trying to run under the track to stop him. He's going to tell him, Derek, don't. The old man went to put his arms around me, and I was just about to try and push him off because I thought it was someone else. I didn't see if he sort of jogged from behind. And uh, he said, look, you don't need to do this. You can stop now. You haven't got nothing to prove. And I said, oh, I have. You know, get me back into lane five. I want to finish. Now in the greatest arena in sport, he's getting the cheer of the games. 
I would never have wanted to be in Derek's shoe at that time. You know, it was a sad moment. It was a, you know, a great moment, you know, in the sport, to be honest. It's a figure, a picture that just stays in your mind forever because you don't want to see any athlete having to go through that. You just knew how destroyed he was and just how much that race meant to him. It's an amazing uh, moment. Derek and his dad crossed that finishing line and 65,000 spectators rose as one to give a standing ovation. Derek was disqualified by the Olympic Committee, of course, and yet 20 years later it was announced that his father, his dad there, Jim, would be one of the Olympic torchbearers in the London Summer Olympics. He had become a symbol of what the Olympics is actually all about. And it seems to me that that is, the world understands that is the heart of a great dad. He comes to support us when our dreams are shattered. He comes to say, son, you've got nothing to prove. When we're in pain, when we're at the end of ourselves, when we feel that we have been disqualified. He loves us unconditionally, whether we're going for gold or just hobbling across in last place. You know, I was preaching once at a large event. There was maybe 3,000 people there. And I was preaching about a, a beautiful scripture, 1 Samuel 12, verse 22, that says, The Lord was pleased to make you his own. And um, so I, 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 I put out an invitation to people to stand if they felt that God wasn't pleased that he chose them, that he maybe regretted choosing them, that they were a disappointment to God. And quite a lot of people stood throughout the auditorium to respond to that. And then I heard myself saying something weird, and I slightly regretted it the minute I'd said it. I said, the rest of us, those sitting, let's show these people how God feels about them, how he doesn't regret choosing them. Let's give them a round of applause now. And for those of you standing, try to take this applause as a message of affirmation from God. And as I'm saying it, I'm thinking, oh, is this a bit forced? Is this just really strange? Like everyone's clapping these poor people standing and saying, that's how God feels. At the end of the meeting, a man called Lawrence came up to see me and began to cry. And this is what he said. The previous day, he had told God, I feel such a failure. And he said, God, I really, really, really need to know if you still believe in me. Would you send just one person in the next 24 hours to tell me I'm doing okay? And he felt like he was giving God good odds because he's at a massive Christian event, like 24 hours, just one person's got to come and say something encouraging. He said he got to the 23-hour mark, not a single person had come to say anything even remotely like that to him. And so here he was in the final session thinking, okay, maybe God really is disappointed with me. And then when I started to preach on 1 Samuel 12, 22, 
he said, I realized maybe God is speaking to me. Maybe God is pleased that he chose me. And he said then, when the crowd started applauding me, I looked around and broke down weeping because I'd asked God to send just one person to tell me that God was pleased with me. And instead, he sent 3,000 in the 24th hour. That is the heart of the Father. I love you. I'm proud of you. Jesus, I love you. I'm proud of you. Lawrence, I love you. I'm proud of you. The final significance of baptism. I've said that it's about belonging. It's about family. It's about the Father's love. But finally, it's about commissioning. Baptism is often a moment, as it was for Jesus here, of launching into the things he's calling us to do with fresh breakthrough and anointing. And so I want to finish with one last story. And it's one I put in the new book, How to Pray, about my friend Roger Nix. And, you know, that's Roger on the left-hand side there on the screens. I'll be with him, funnily enough, this time next week. But um, Roger and Donna had um, fostered, taken this baby into their home. And he was the unwanted child of a woman who was addicted to drugs and was homeless. And they wanted to adopt this little boy. His name is Anthony. And they went to the shelter because they needed to get the paperwork done, obviously to allow them to legally adopt. And they found the woman had just disappeared. She had just left. And she's the sort of woman not easy to find. As they asked around, they thought, oh my goodness, if we can't find her, what will happen? We can't legally adopt this little baby that we've, we've got, that we've fallen in love with. And she's, she, not only might she be hard to find, she's at risk of death. And all they could say was, um, we know she was heading to Oklahoma City, which is several hours away from Tulsa. That was all that anyone had, no forwarding address. So in desperation, Roger prayed. He made up some flyers with a picture uh, of um, this woman and her name and said, I'm just going to go to Oklahoma City, which I think is like about the third or fourth largest city in America by area. And he said, I'm just going to pray and ask God to show me where to go. And he drove, he knew it was, it was like looking for a needle in a haystack. One person in this vast, vast city with literally no address. And he, just, he was just in despair. He felt, my, my son's future is dependent on this. And as he drove in at every junction, he said, God, do I go left, straight on, or right here? And he, in this way, he drove a little while, and eventually he saw a white clapperboard church. It was a Sunday morning, and people were just discharging from the church, and they'd set up, it was in a very poor neighborhood, they'd set up tables, and they were starting to serve lunch. And this caught Roger's attention. He parked up, thought, well, I'll go and ask these people. And he went over with his leaflet and handed the leaflet, it's the first woman he's spoken to in Oklahoma City. He says, do you recognize this woman? She says, no. But you might want to ask my pastor. He goes to the pastor, hands her the bit of paper. Do, do you rec him the, this bit of paper? Do you recognize this woman? And he looks at it. He says, yes, I do. I know that woman. She often comes here. We help look after her. And I sometimes drive her home. I know exactly where she lives. Second person he's talked to out of this vast city with no GPS, no map, no directions. He's then driven 
to her house, goes in, she is there saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I forgot, does the paperwork. And as a result, this is a recent picture, and that little baby is Anthony there in the middle with his, uh, not the one on the right, Anthony's the, the, the young man in the middle there with his hands uh, folded. See, this is the heart of the father who comes and puts orphans in families. He puts families that are broken together. This is the heart of the Father who carries us across the finishing line when we feel like a disqualified failure. This is the heart of the Father that says again and again, I love you and I'm proud of you and I'm pleased that I chose you. So maybe we're going to respond now just very briefly. It'd be great to get the band back. Maybe uh, today God is calling you to consider getting baptized in three weeks' time. Jesus says, repent and be baptized. And I've said that it's a key moment in all of our lives, a moment of obedience, a moment of belonging, of repentance, of encounter, and of commissioning. If you're thinking about it, do talk to Jazz, who's here at the front. Give us a twirl, Jazz. Do talk to Jazz, or you can get in touch with Josh in the week, and, and they will help you. And we do, do it quite quickly, because we like to prepare people for baptism. So maybe as a result of this morning, some of you will be getting baptized in three weeks' time. Um, but maybe for others, the challenge today is around fatherhood. Uh, maybe you are a dad, but you feel a failure. I can honestly say there's nothing I work harder at in my life than being a dad. And there's nothing I feel more of a failure at at times. And we need to receive fresh grace. I love you. I'm proud of you. You know, the key to fathering well is to know who your father in heaven is. Or maybe you're here and this issue of fatherhood is deeply painful. And all I can tell you is that the more broken your experience of fatherhood is, the more hope there is in the fact that you have a Father in heaven who's always faithful, always loving, always present, who will help someone like Roger Nix find you in the middle of a city, who will break through the crowds and come and help you across the finishing line when all your dreams just got shattered, who will go to someone like Lawrence who said, I feel a failure, I need one person to tell me I'm okay and line up 3,000 to say, I'm pleased with you, I love you, I'm glad I chose you. This is the heart of the family of God, and we enter into it through baptism. So let's stand together, shall we? And the most appropriate way, I think, of concluding this is to read over you the great apostolic prayer of the Apostle Paul, at the end of Ephesians chapter 3, many of you will know it. It's one of the most beautiful prayers in world history, but it's all about the themes we've been exploring today. So I want to pray this over you. You may like to just open your hands if you're saying, yes, Holy Spirit, come and bring the affirmation of the Father into my life today. This is the prayer. For this reason, says the Apostle Paul, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people down the ages said, Amen. Amen.